So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay, go. Uh, welcome to Future Creep. <laughs> okay, go. <laughs> welcome to Future Creep. Colon. Colon. Built-in built built microwave. Yeah. Uh, semi-colon. Semi-colon. Transhuman and... Hum, hum, trans, blah, 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 blah. Transhumanism Trend two. Wreck. Right? <laughs> Transhumanism number two. Right. Number, number two. Transhumanism again. Again. That'll be again, number again. three. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I like that. Um, so, like, we kind of talked about transhumanism before, but I thought, oh, we should just follow some kind of an outline because we could go on for hours about this. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive topic that's, like, really far-reaching. So I'm definitely in in support of trying to bring some structure. Um, mm. Something so we're I, really good at because generally, like, our conversations are very, like, you know, fo- laser focused and right. They're just on topic. A a brick wall of continuity. A brick wall of continuity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. The same in every direction. Yeah. Um. So I I took some notes or gathered some notes on the background and history of transhumanism. Which, yes. For it being such a huge topic, has like a super short history. Um. Yeah, I mean, Wait, I, I, you know, early nineteen hundreds, not even like nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. Like the nineteen sixties is when technology arrived at a point where it was even possible to have that as a framework for the conversation. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, uh, I went through the Wikipedia article on transhumanism and followed a bunch of links and all kinds of stuff, and so. I just scribbled it down and we can talk about it. Um, the background that I gathered is that transhumanism is a philosophical movement that advocates for the transformation of the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies able to greatly modify or enhance human intellect and physiology. And so how I would summarize that is saying using technology to improve our own biology through design. <laughs> yes. Right. 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 Yep. I mean, that's a little briefer. Yeah. So, um, the 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 thing that I just read it came from Wiki. It's um, footnoted at the bottom um, as the uh, it, the source being "Religion and Transhumanism: The Unknown Future of Human Enhancement" by Calvin Mercer mm-hmm. and a history of transhumanist thought from the Journal of Evolution and Technology by Nick Bostrom. Um, so that's where that big long definition came from. The most common transhumanist thesis is that humans, human beings may eventually be able to transform themselves into different beings with abilities so greatly expanded from the current condition as to merit the label of post-human beings. Post-human beings. Um, which is interesting because on a... So this makes me think about like on a long enough timeline, mm-hmm. uh, whatever we think of as human now will evolve into something that doesn't fit the current definition Right, um, right. So we'll we'll either like branch off into being something other than human or post-human, mm-hmm. or like it'll just be seen as a larger, more spready outy continuation of what we've already got. Maybe I don't know. It's I think this is like 
well, we might get to this later, but the idea of post-human to me speaks to the idea that there has to be something that defines humans as humans. And I, when you think about the long flow of evolution, it's not as clear. It's, it's a chicken or egg situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I know I I definitely, um, I mean, we're finding new species all of the time on the planet and those didn't just like pop up out of a black void. They came descended from other species that we already knew about. And so it's, reasonable to think that at some point we'll just evolve into selves that don't resemble our past human selves um yeah and And, i think and i feel like the process of using technology to speed that up would make it more evident maybe yeah i think it's worth noting um or i think it's worth taking a moment to kind of define what like what we mean by species um yeah that's a great idea so typically like the kind of shorthand um definition from a biological point of view is that um a species is any two individuals are part of the same species if their appropriate sexes or mating types can produce fertile offspring um typically bisexual reproduction so um obviously that breaks down when you have like asexual reproduction as in like with single cell organisms that are not, mm-hmm. not, I mean, they do exchange genetic material, um, but they don't, they don't require it in order to perpetuate their existence. Um, yeah. okay. So that part falls down a little bit. There's also really interesting, um, things like, um, ring species. So, uh, a ring species is basically, um, it's, it's typically, how do I describe a ring species? So like imagine um, you have a you have a lake at the bottom of like a caldera or like in a valley or something. And so around the lake are mountains. Caldera is a volcano, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, and so around the outside of the lake, you have um, this like rim of mountains. And so if you go up the slope from the lake, you might encounter a lizard, right? And so in that particular habitat, you have one kind of lizard. And if you walk directly across, so if you go across the lake, like you get in your boat, you go across the lake to the other side of the shore, and you go up, you find another lizard. And those two lizards you found are not the same species. They cannot mate and produce offspring. However, if you go back up, or if you start from one point on this rim, and you encounter mm-hmm. a lizard species, as you move around the rim, you encounter other lizard species. And the ones that are right next to each other can always mate. And so you have this idea of a ring species where their furthest off, their furthest sort of cousins, they cannot produce viable offspring from, but their next door neighbors, they can. And so um, it definitely brings up like a little bit of issue with the idea of like, what is a species? Because, um, you can see that like um, if you're given a certain, like if you're not that ge- genetically diverse from your mating partner, then you can produce viable offspring. And it's a very long, like very long spectrum of gray, right? Um, where if you're too far outside your spectrum, you can't reproduce with that, that, that other entity. But um, if you can get them close enough, you can, and then they can reproduce with an entity further down the line. Um <clears throat> 
you know, there's interesting like things like we have mules with horses and donkeys, right? So that's, they're definitely a different species according to the definition because they, um, mules are, uh, sterile. They cannot produce viable offspring, but, Mm -hmm. um, but mules and donkeys can mate and produce offspring. So, uh, anyway, um, the point being is like, you know, to be not human, what does that mean? Like it doesn't, This isn't to say that if you individually are sterile or unable to produce viable offspring, that doesn't, that's, this isn't just like, that doesn't make you non-human necessarily, right? right? Like it's, that's a breakdown of, of your particular instance. Um, It's not strictly a fertility issue. No, it's not strictly a fertility issue. That's just kind of a, a shorthand um, way of looking at the genetics, right? Um, so anyway, uh, sorry, go on. So you were, you were saying before I said, oh, um, I don't know. I was just saying, um, so yeah, I, so I post-humanism. guess at some, at some point it's inevitable that what we think of as people will have offspring that are evolutionarily different enough at some point that they're right. considered post-human. Right. 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 Yeah. That's an inevitability. Yes. Yeah. And I on a long enough timeline. Yeah. And I also think about um you know, the difference like what we're talking about is sort of waiting going the long way around of waiting for um the various forces like natural selection to to right. drive our our own evolution to some other other state. Um Versus taking the reins ourselves and driving our own evolution. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. That it, it, sounds right. Yeah. Um, I, there's, it's, so, it's fraught like, with, it's fraught with, um, you know, ethical issues and debates of, no. of um, you know, I, I mean, I guess I would, I would think of it more as ethical than moral. Um, well, yeah. There's like, so there's like, all kinds of people who have an opinion about this and they not necessarily agree with each other. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, so it would be boring. It's not unlikely a lot of the time. Like, right. What it really even is we're talking about. Not to me anyway. Yeah. Um, The same. Um, I mean, I think that, I think that, um, it's a really complex issue because, you know, as we've talked about in our short, when we talked about, um, sickle cell anemia, it's Mm -hmm. hard to argue against, the positive effect of that on those people's lives. Right. Like hugely positive. I mean, people who could, um, you know, like even if it were just that they can now fly on planes without fear of like horrible debilitating pain and suffering and possible death. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not to mention just prolonging their lives and giving them a way better quality of life. Um, I mean, I also think like it's, it's a it's a complicated issue because it can be for good or for bad, right? Like, you know, you can do once when there's nothing inherently good about genetic engineering or bad about it. It's just the nature of how we exist and work. Um yeah. and then the abil- our ability to modify that is um something we're just learning how to do. I think the idea of transhumanism seems to be about um enhancing human intellect and physiology or or enhancing the human condition so yeah um 
I don't, I, I think the goals and aims or the philosophy of, of transhumanism typically is to better the lives of individuals. Um, and possibly the species, right? Like, you know, possibly like moving us forward um, is making... I don't know. Like the aims are outlined, but like I didn't get that far because there's so much information. So I mean, I, like, it's... I lumped that under our next discussion. I think, I think I shouldn't necessarily say the aims because I think that implies that there's this like organized movement of transhumanism. Uh, um, yeah, well... There is and there isn't. Right. Um, I mean, there are definitely groups of people who are organized around around these ideas. Yeah. Um, but I think when we're talking about transhumanism, we're not necessarily referring to a particular group. We're just talking about the umbrella of idea of mm-hmm. modification of human beings and, and how yeah. that change happens. Like what it means to us as people who are not involved with any of the people advocating for it. Right. Right. Yeah. Like this isn't necessarily, and many people aren't abdicating for it, but they're still involved in transhumanism, right? Because they're being a yeah. voice of what they believe to be reason, right? Saying, Hey, don't go that way, go this way. Or, yeah. um, but I would argue that, um, that might still be transhumanism because you're still trying to take a hand in the direction of our, our biological evolution or, mo- or change over time. Sure. I'd buy that. I mean, yeah. that sounds right. Um, so I looked into like the history of yes. transhumanism and it stands to reason. It's probably going to sound obvious when I say it, but the people who have weighed in on this most heavily are philosophers, academics, and religious people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I also like the the timeline that I have here kind of starts and two a holes on a podcast. Sorry, what's that? I said also two a holes on a podcast. <laughs> two a holes on a podcast. Yeah. So as far back as like the nineteen sixties, yeah. There were people in Japan called the metabolists, mm-hmm. the Japanese metabolists, and they were talking about linking every human in the world via technology to create a single intelligence, um, like the precursor to the so-called tech singularity uh-huh. and human and human what we think of as like human AI interactions. Yeah. Um, but like, if you think way backer. Yeah. Beyond that, people have been obsessed in a sort of like mythical way with finding the fountain of youth or like living forever or finding a cure for pain or, you know, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Like it's people have been in pursuit of the fountain of youth, etc. So I think I think it's always been in the back of human beings collective mind to end the suffering that accompanies human existence. But if you change all of that, you're radically changing the experience of being human, which in and of itself, even if you didn't have a lot of genetic drift or something, could be, I suppose, considered a form of post-humanism. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was just this little thing I was thinking about. So... Really, I think what happened is that the t- like tech was suitable or suitably advanced that we could get at the nuts and bolts of what we're even talking about when like the Jap- like for instance, the Japanese metabolists talk about linking everybody's brains with little computer type stuff in the 1980s, the University of California at LA UCLA became the epicenter of transhumanist thought. And there was a professor from the new school, which is on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and is in a terrible state uh, contemporarily. Uh-huh. Um, 
the oppressed professor from the new school changed their name to FM-2030 and then started teaching at UCLA and hooked up with a woman who's an artist, basically, Natasha Vitamore. And they hosted gatherings for transhumanists in Los Angeles. Um, the attendees were people like students from FN 2030s courses and then audience from audience members from Vitamore's productions when she would do art productions. So um, the 1980s, there was actually people like teaching this in schools and doing things about it um, and having events. Uh, so in 1982, Vitamore authored the Transhumanist Arts Statement and produced a cable TV show called Transcentury Update, and the focus of which was transhumanity, and it reached over 100,000 viewers. So that's not like an impossibly small number of people who give a shit about this. Yeah, no. It's, you know, right. considering it was only something that people were really talking about within the framework of the, the context here Yeah, for two decades. I mean, it. just to give you a sense of how involved and like complex and like deep this story can be um mm -hmm. fm230 himself is is an amazing story um that we could do an entire podcast around um off. and okay, like yeah it's it, so just just a little highlight he was um he died from pancreatic cancer in 2000 july 8th 2000 um and was and then was placed in cryonic suspension. Yeah, there cryonics is like the next thing on the timeline. Like it's yeah. that's really interesting. I it's interesting that somebody who died so recently still has that much faith in cryonics, which seems like a total I mean, I, I do I think I imagine that there are at least some individuals who it's not it's not so much that you have faith in it. It's just the best thing available. You're just like, well, I don't know. Sure. It's not nothing. I'm going to do something. Um, I have no idea what his state of mind is. I mean, the fact that he changed his name to FM 2030, um, I'd want to know more about why um, before mm -hmm. I, you know, passed, passed my own personal judgment about his state, is, his state of mind. But, um, <clears throat> or really, like, who am I to judge ever? But um, anyway... <laughs> I don't know. Just I don't mean to like derail too much there, but it's just no. It's, that's like that's derailing is our whole e mo. Everything about this story is like as we dive into transhumanism, it just it pulls up these really in interesting individuals and ha who have mm -hmm. their own like really interesting story arcs and ideas that they've been trying to contribute to the body of knowledge around you know kind of around the the concept of transhumanism, right. Um, yeah. So. so, so yeah, as you, as you stated before, cryonics is like tied into all of this. And so, um, from 1982 to 86, a short four years while FM 2030 was teaching at UCLA and, um, Natasha Vitamore was doing art happenings and stuff. Uh huh. Uh, like a guy named Eric Drexler was writing and then published in 1986 a book called Engines of Creation, The Coming Era of Nanotechnology. 
we've talked about nanobots. I want the yeah. nanobots. Sign me up for the nanobots. Yes. Give me yes. all the nanobots, right? Yeah. So he writes this book, Engines of Creation, The Coming Era of Nanotechnology. Um, and that book delved into the prospects for nanotechnology and molecular assemblers. And, and he founded something called the Foresight Institute, um, which was a nonprofit organization that researched, advocated for, and performed cryonics. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Eventually, in Southern California, the offices of a place called Alcor Life Extension Foundation became a center, a, like a, a gathering place, like a like an epicenter of of futurism. Interesting. Um, so that he he wrote this book, and I I have not read it. I don't know how accurate it is, considering a lot of the things that he could have hypothetically spoken about in that book could be manifesting at this point. I don't know. I'll have to like take a side shoot. It's I. This is um, I. I have not read that particular book, but I have heard of it, and it is in the realm of um, what I often refer to as science fiction. I actually like to read. So, mm. um, you know, in the more, in the more sort of like, you know, it, it's because it's like the idea is it's like speculative speculative fiction right it's like mm -hmm. given what we know now one could imagine based on these facts and realities like that this might be true um and i really enjoy that because it's really it's it's just so really interesting to think about like sometimes you're reading them and you're just like nope i i just have to disagree with this or sometimes you read it yeah. a little bit after the fact and it's really interesting to see where they were right and where they were so wrong like um <laughs> So that book, uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson, um, yeah, it was, it's funny because it's like, there's so much about that book that predicts this like sort of techno dystopia and there's so much about it that he got right that that's one of the reasons I think he kind of got famous for that book is people look back on it and they were like, Oh shit, like you did a really good job of predicting, like no one was really thinking about this and the idea of the internet and stuff. But one of the things that he got a little bit wrong, which is kind of funny is in the book, he um, talks about fax machines as the main mode of communication where, where <laughs> facts, where, yeah, where like, um, where there's basically just like pieces of fax paper just littering everywhere because of the <laughs> constant amount of fax communication. But if you look at, yeah. you know, everything else about that, if you just turn that into email, it's exactly right. Like email, it's continues to blow up in the amount of like communication that's coming by email all the time. Um, yeah, and it does leave a physical trace. I mean, all of the energy it takes right. to create all yes. of that junk email is like burning fossil fuel. Yeah, it's really interesting how um, how how right that was. Um, yeah. You know, and I think different people have different ideas about whether that's close or not a fax machine or an email. But from my point of view, it seems like a very um, you know, they're the, adjacent for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll grant you yeah. That. yeah. Um, I mean, they're very, they're extremely similar right. to me, to my mind. It's just that one gets printed to a screen and one gets printed to a piece of shitty paper. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the things where in hindsight, you're like, well, why wouldn't you obviously see that it would just be printed to a screen and never, you wouldn't bother printing yeah. to paper, but you have to understand like the time period that the book was written in where we just didn't have that. Well, things evolve like genetics and people do, where yeah. you can't, it's very unusual to see massive leaps in logic that are disconnected. Usually it's like you find the edge of something and then you start pushing there. Also, which is like my whole personal yeah. philosophy. Also, it just occurs to me, um, like, how, 
how many of of us have known people who literally have to print out every email? Oh, for sure. So in some ways, just not wrong at all. Just not yeah. wrong at all. Like I have known, I worked for some people who, um, it, it their office was like hoarders buried alive because it was just reams of email printouts all the time. And I'd be like, Hey, let's get some of this cleaned up. No, no, no. I'm saving that one. Which one? That whole stack. It's like five feet tall off the ground. I know, but they're all important. How do you know where they are? What doesn't matter? Shut up. You'll never even go through them. Again. I know. That's it's like- just insane. Um, <laughs> that reminds me, a uh, tangent. Yeah. I've been living without a phone for a little while because yeah. my phone melted down and like burnt my hand. Yeah. And so I had to order a new one and that happened before Christmas. And so it's like, well, getting a new phone is going to take you three weeks. So right. You right. need a phone to do everything like everyone in our whole society that's been like forced at gunpoint to have a fucking smartphone for everything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'm actually going to enjoy this. Like, you can't reach me. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, and it's been really nice. The phone is shipping, but it occurred to me that I even fall like I'm very conscious of this. And I even have like this fucking horde of photos from my smartphone that I'm like, I'm never going to look at these again. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's gotten to the point where knowing that they're out there disorganized uh-huh. is more problematic for me psychologically than never having the photos in the first place. Yeah, I um, I feel like I'm under a photograph version of the hoarders buried alive. I, it's like I know what you mean. Um, I mean, my solution to that is I've I've just sort of I have some hard drives, some small hard drives that I just mm-hmm. put them on and then just put them away. That's brilliant. I, because I felt like it's it's such a small thing. Um, and to destroy them means that I won't like future me will never have the opportunity to look at them. Um, and sure. I've always like. I, as I've gotten older, I was, I've kind of come to a place where I'm like, Oh, maybe I have, I do enjoy a little bit of like the ability to look through my past. Um, and I, I don't know, I go back and forth. Like when I was younger, I was just like, fuck it. I already had somebody who was burning up my past anyway. And so I was like, well, I, there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm just gonna, mm-hmm. you know, get the fuck out and, and travel light and not carry that shit around with me. But, um, now that it's so yeah. small, it's, it's hard. It's, it's kind of easier to not really worry about it but i think of all of the people that i know you and i have the least stuff yeah like i mean i've got a lot of shit like you can yeah. see in the photo in the picture behind me we're talking over the internet and ned can mm-hmm. see me like books. i have bookcases full of books uh-huh. which are the only objects that i feel like i have in sufficient volume to consider them a hoard and yet they're so well organized it doesn't feel like a hoard at all mm-hmm. yeah um but i'll i mean I'll tell you what, it's more likely that I'm going to go back and read all of these books than it is that I'm going to go through and look at all my photos. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Just for, just for comparison. Right. Anyway, uh, tangent, tangent. Tangent. I think I would feel a lot better if I had like little thumb drives or something with photos on them. Yeah. Yeah. Then the idea that like every photo I take on my phone and I know this is a setting I could change, which I will do when I get the new one. Yeah. Every photo just automatically backs up to my Google Drive or <laughs> right. whatever it right. is. And it's just like a stash of shit. Yeah. Like it's such a mess. And then every once in a while, this is what really bothers me. The the overlord will decide to gather some random photos from your past and shove them in your face. That's like, hey, remember I, when I, this happened? I hate that. I think I fucking hate it too. I hate it so much. I'm pulling all my shit off the internet and putting it on thumb drives. Right. 
Yep. Fuck you. Stop yeah. digging in my shit. And also stop like bringing up painful crap because I have no choice. Like, it's so oh, non-consensual. It. Like the way things it are is. done. That's a, it's not yes. like they say, hey, we have this new feature. Would you be interested in trying it? And you can read about it and be like, no, no. But instead they're <laughs> like, they do it. And then they're like, how'd you like that? Was that great for you? Click here. Check out this picture of your dead cat. Yeah. Fuckers. Remember when that happened? Uh-huh. God. Yeah. All right. Tangent over. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the I, the cryonics thing is really amazing to me. Like, it just, yeah. it just seems so doomed to fail. But I also completely understand the like well what else it's, it's either you're going to definitely be a dead-ass corpse forever with no hope of like recreation right. or you can freeze yourself which is only probably like a marginally if not worse probability of getting reactivated someday i don't know i i would love to just come back online in the future and be like where am i what year is it uh-huh <laughs> what what what's happened right which version of myself am i yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, cryonics is a thing. In 1988, the first issue of Extropy magazine was published by Max Moore and Tom Morrow, which Tom Morrow cracks me up because we already know that there's like the other person who renamed themselves FM 2030. So I'm yeah. like, is Tom Morrow like a joke like tomorrow? Oh my god! I didn't even think about that. That's pretty funny. I um, was like, I don't know. I'm just question maybe somebody out there knows i didn't look into it um so in tom uh max moore is a, a strategic philosopher strategic philosopher and in 1990 he created his own particular transhumanist doctrine which took the form of the principles of extropy so he wrote the principles of extropy and that laid the foundation of what we now consider the modern transhumanism um and defined it essentially right so and uh, like yeah and this is the part where we're talking about like a more organized approach to like a group of people yeah. being like hey i subscribe to this right here's what we think who's in mm -hmm. um so transhumanism is but a not class a cult. of right not a cult not <laughs> a cult transhumanism is a class of philosophies that seek to guide us towards a post-human condition Transhumanism shares many elements of humanism, including a respect for reason and science, a commitment to progress, and a valuing of human or transhuman existence in this life. Transhumanism differs from humanism in recognizing and anticipating the radical alterations in the nature and possibilities of our lives resulting from various sciences and technologies. So that's from Extra P Magazine, The Principles of Extra P, mm -hmm. or I don't know if it was published in Extra Pete magazine. I should rephrase that. It, that was an excerpt from Principles of Extra P right. by Max Moore. So um, I guess transhumanism then sees itself as actively seeking to achieve a post-human condition. Yeah. Is that, is that right? Am I interpreting that correctly? Um, I think so. And I also think that um, that's that's like inherently true depending on what posthumanism is. But um, mm -hmm. if we're kind of going by the strict definition of the posthumanism kind of being a divergence from the species of human um, or an evolutionary step in human being human, um, where essentially a posthuman could no longer produce viable offspring with a, you know, a human, then um, I, I think 
I mean, I think that's just the nature of transhumanism, right? I mean, the whole point of transhumanism I, yeah. is to move away from the sort of standard human and be be able to have alleviated a lot of the like the sort of pain and suffering and, and enhanced and and sort of created a better um, a better human, which at that point, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could argue is a post human state. Um, I mean, that's kind of the, at this point, it's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit semantics, right? I mean, which is important because mm-hmm. that's what we're fucking talking about. Um, <laughs> but it is like, you know, philosophically speaking, like we're, you know, the question we're asking is like, where do these term, where do these definitions fall, right? Like at what point is a transhuman no longer transhuman, but posthuman? And what's the, you know, broadly speaking on this spectrum between human and posthuman, where do these, you know, where are the lines? And I think those lines are a little fuzzy um, at best. Right. Um, and and I think that's kind of why I wanted to at least give a little bit of a, you know, sprinkle in that idea of the ring species because of the idea of like... Yes, I think that's super helpful. Like any two points on the ring, um, you have different species unless they're really close right. together, in which case they would be considered the same species because those two species together can actually produce viable offspring. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think that's kind of, kind of what we're talking about here a little bit. Um, yeah. it's way more nuanced than that. I mean, there's a lot of issues of like, you know, like the just questions of like, what, what even is, what does it mean to be human? Um, I mean, yeah, that's a big question that has like no convincing answer at this point. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty easy to, you know, pull up the biology box and be like, okay, biologically speaking, this is a human, but then that leaves a lot to question, um, you know, the state of mind of an individual and what, you know, what, I mean, just Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be alive and like aware and self-aware and, you know, how do we even define that? And all of those questions are, are, you know, largely unanswered as far as I can tell. I mean, well, there's many, many answers. I think the problem is there's a proliferation of answers and nobody can agree on. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, um, it's not real clear cut. Uh, well, I think but, you would have to like. I think if you if you can settle on a on a singular or universal definition of what it means to be human, then you're going to have to make a definition so impossibly large as to accommodate everybody's experience of what it means to be human that it becomes meaningless to have a definition. You might sure. as well just say all the things. Right, right. Um, I but I do think that there's value in um for this. I mean. I, I don't think you disagree with me, but I think there's value in having a term that loosely defines these things. Like, you know, generally mm-hmm. part of the reason we're having this conversation is so that when I talk to you and say, Hey, remember transhumanism, you have an idea that you know what I know, right? Like we're going through yeah. it and then we're gonna be yep. like, okay, transhumanism is all of that. Here's the things that are definitely questionable. Um, you know, and here's the things that are more solid. Um, you know, I mean, I think generally off the cuff, if you say, hey, what is human? Like most people at least have some idea of what you're talking about. Um, and that's mm-hmm. okay for the purpose of like continuing to be able to have the conversation without just losing yourself in the like the massive gray that is, you know, is nuance yeah. and, and you know, meaning. Um, but I think it's also important, like we're talking about now, to make sure we acknowledge that there's um, 
there's a deficit of understanding of like what the like what's the basis of cognition what does that even mean like how you know yeah. like how does that factor into transhumanism as far as like um you know if if you upload your brain into a computer and or into like a you know a, a digital space or some kind of like artificial space um and then download it back into some other artificial biological being that is able to procreate with other standard humans like is that you know where does that land right i mean who knows if right. that's ever even possible but again like it's all all of these things um i mean at this point like i think it, it's one thing that jumps out for me as being potentially categorized as post-human is yeah. the idea or the 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 fact yeah. the fact now the material fact that we can manufacture humans without sexually sexual reproduction on behalf of a couple of humans right right and, right and if we were extraordinarily unscrupulous mm -hmm. we could basically just manufacture the molecules from scratch then assemble them into an arrangement that is dna and then thus create a thing from scratch as an organism from scratch right right which then you would be post everything yeah so i I think I have two ideas about trans, like the idea of posthumanism. Um, okay. I think that in one sense, posthumanism is a period in history where we've arrived at. So it's okay. not that it's not that um, that any individual is a posthuman. Like it's that every individual has access to a state of posthumanism. Okay. Um. And I think that's. I'm with it, you so far. <laughs> I think for me, that's a more useful understanding of posthumanism um, as a definition because it it doesn't because there's a lot of issues with um, you know when you start to look at individuals, which is what you're kind of talking about. It's like every person's experience of being human or their, the human condition is going to be necessarily different and unique um, and valuable, but from the argument of like trying to categorize things, I think it's, it's reasonable at least for right now thinking of, of post-humanism as a, a time and a place or a place and a time where some bulk of the population has access to such radical changes to their, mm -hmm. their existence that they could be described as like becoming, being able to transition to a post-human state. Um, yeah. And that being kind of the post-humanism state of our society where it's like, okay, now they're available. Like now anyone can walk through that door and go that way. Um, the details of that obviously both matter and don't matter depending on, on where we are in the, in the discussion. Um, sure. You know, but um, I would, would extending a human life. It, it, let's just say, let's go all the way to like absurdity to okay. indefinitely, right? Indefinite yes. existence. Right. Yep. Would that be considered post-human? And if so, is that because of the length of time that you could extend a life by? Or, for example, the average lifespan in the 1700s was like 17 fucking years old. And I remember right. that because they match, which is crazy. And so, like, if you didn't grow up, survive all of the pestilence, breed as soon as possible, like, there, it's... The, 
the toehold that humanity had on survival was like real skinny there for a while. Yeah, yeah. 17 years, that's it. Get it all done in 17 years. Right. And now we're pushing up to like retirement age being 75. Yeah. And there's people who are living well into like triple digits, like into close to 110 who don't look that, they don't look like the Crypt Keeper. I was right. just watching a really interesting documentary about a woman who's 107 who still like lives alone and makes dinner for this gigantic family every Sunday. And like she doesn't talk like, you know how like you can tell if somebody is old when you hear them speak sometimes because mm-hmm. they speak slower or it sounds their voice is very aged. It sounds weathered, you know, yeah, like, or their choice of words like betrays or some their cho- cognitive yeah, their dialect. Like, breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Cognitive breakdown too. Sure. Like all, there's all of these clues in the way that people talk. And when you, when I listened to this woman speak who was 107, it was clear that she had not like slowed down, I don't think. Right. Or she was, she was no slower or, um, plodding in her speech than anyone you would expect to meet anywhere. Like it was not obvious that she had been around for a really long time just because of her speech. And so I was just thinking like, okay, well, what if we, like, what if in our lifetimes, mine and yours, mm-hmm. we find a, a solution to the problem of cellular senescence yeah. and we're able to extend our lives? Like, I'm already thinking, God, I'm 41. I got to get shit moving here because, you know, I'm potentially like halfway done. Right. If we push our lifetimes out to 200 years because we eliminate the normal causes of cancer and death and disease and like right. stuff like that, and then we also can turn back cellular time by lengthening telomeres and reducing senescence and like improving the um energy cycle and things like that like are we post-human that are we no longer are we different are we so different is the experience for us so different that it's a departure from what we used to consider human even within like living memory i mean yeah this is the this is the the question and i think um if we look at transhumanism and in the same way that i was kind of looking at posthumanism then um we are we're on the what i would describe as like you know maybe a hundred years ago it was a gentle slope downhill to transhumanism or through transhumanism and now we're on the cusp of like a major a major bend right like you know, up or down, it doesn't matter, a major change in direction, which is to say that we have way more access, like more people have more access to the things that can prolong their lives and change their lives um, in the idea, like beyond the sort of natural order of things or the sort of um, the chaos of nature, right? Right. I think antibiotics are a really it, yes, perfect example yeah, of yep. like, oh shit, you like a ton of the things that used to wipe people out just yep. are no longer a factor. Like the discovery of penicillin, just a huge yes. factor. Um, you know, in some ways, you could also argue that um, that uh, industri- like the industrial revolution, where um, just individual lives, like being human, was just hugely transformed. Yeah. Um, from what it was, like you said, like, you know, life, ex- life expectancy in the, you know, 17, that's, you know, that's time to retire. Whatever mm-hmm. you were doing, you can be done now and go off and die in the woods. Like, um, right? <laughs> oh, you have tetanus. Oh, cholera. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh, and, strep throat. Did yeah. you know strep throat is fatal? 
Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know this. If you think you have strep throat, go to the fucking doctor. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it can, nuts. like if it gets into your system. Yeah. Like, for example, if you have a cut in your mouth, like from brushing your teeth or flossing, yeah. and you have strep throat and that gets in your bloodstream. It can infect your organs and you can die like very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. Which um, used to happen a lot. But, you know, penicillin. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um I don't know. So I think like, I think the idea of transhumanism in that regard, um, like if you think of it, um, you can have individuals who are like, you know, working, you know, sort of contributing to the idea of transhumanism and being transhumanists and all of those things. But, um, I think of it as like these periods of time that our species is going through. Like we're kind of transitioning now. We are Mm -hmm. in some ways like on the cusp of, what could easily be described as like much more radical transhumanism, right? We've already got yes. people who are doing, um, you know, doing gene therapy to themselves, both in a like, like systematic organized sort of supported way. And ones who are just going off and doing it anyway. Biohackers. Um, yeah. Like, you know, the biohacker revolution is like upon us and that's happening. And, um, yeah. So, uh, like, I don't know where that also biohacking, I guess, falls onto a, like a big spectrum, too, because like as you and I have discovered over like the years of knowing each other and me, like trying to figure out what the wrong, fuck is wrong with my neurology. Yeah. Like there are, I can already to some extent control when I have neuroplasticity or not or mm-hmm. like spur neuroplasticity at will, which is not something that people even thought was possible a couple of decades ago. The model for neuroscience did not allow for that or or allow for provide for that understanding i should say yeah there was provide for that understanding sciences don't allow or not allow the natural existence of things (laughs) they just seek to understand it um yeah so um so i there's just so many things that you can do to change yeah i think but i think the ability to decide when and how and to be deliberate about it is the biggest difference right mm-hmm. yes yeah it's it's in the inexorable march towards the future on the arrow of time will get you there but like we can hit fast forward or we can just cut out the distance between now and the future like you like yeah. maybe this is what this is a way of this we're wormholing biology yes yeah 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 we are um <laughs> I think I think like one of the things that terrifies me a little bit about um humans taking charge of their own biology is that um you know I work in software development and I <laughs> I meet plenty of software developers who have um they just kind of have this idea that that you know they they've seen plenty of bad code but they have this idea that there's a right way and it is it can be good and therefore generally lots of it is good and everything's like you know this is good clean code and it's really efficient and it works well and generally my experience is like that may be true there may be outliers but i am very pessimistic about the ability of humans to be organized and logical in their thought around it um there's like sure. generally my feeling is that um software is on a downward slope into chaos. Like it's, um, you know, most people I know have already had experiences where it's like, you know, something was good when they started and then it updated and it got a little bit worse until it just Mm -hmm. became unusable and they moved on Mm -hmm. to something else. And, um, and that generally just seems to be 
like most of the software models of like how software is developed now, it's just built on top and on top and on top of other, other people's software. And, um, I, I worry that, um, complex, like we're not well suited to think about complex systems, even in a, like a social, like socially structured, we don't have mechanisms for that where so, like yeah, groups of this... individuals might get together and do like a generally like a pretty good job of, of accomplishing a task for a while, but eventually um, it's going to succumb to like sort of uh, um, like a data entropy where it just like, mm-hmm. you know, over time enough people touching it, it just wears down and it, it mm-hmm. loses its organization and self-correction. Um, I think that's, uh, I, I totally see where you're going with that. Yeah. And I think so like, what this makes me think of or while while you were talking what i was picturing in my head sort of an imagery is like people uh, were it, we're really good at making stuff we're not really good at resolving issues with the stuff that we make and that's kind of the problem that you're describing in programming and i i share this mm-hmm. we have bitched about this on numerous occasions right so i'm with you on this I what think, were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, um, I think that it's hard to compete with the forces of evolution. Um, natural selection really, really refines shit in a way that's really hard to just like think about and then have done in one step. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Be like, oh, you know what really would be the perfect you know, tool for this situation where evolution would take, you know, like the part of the problem with evolution is that the, the pain and suffering that has to go with it, right? Like for that perfect, yes. like happy frog on a lily pad sitting there, eat, ha- happy and sa- fat and sassy and eating flies all day. There's, mm-hmm. you know, 10 billion frogs that died horrible, miserable deaths. <laughs> that there's a sassy frog. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's fucking like missing limbs or toes or something that makes you a little slower than the thing next to you, which means you get eaten and then you don't pass on your genetic line. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I that's we may have touched on this earlier in some other long chain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I've I'm that, sure I've used that analogy before as well. Yeah. Um, but I think like um, what I was going to say is that the the process of evolution as it's described to people is so egregiously wrong. Like the whole concept of the survival of the fittest or like, Uh um, like as if evolution, it's like a carving away process. It's not an additive process. Like things don't refine to get better and better over time. The things that are left as a result of the winnowing down process are the things that are, equivalent to successful in our minds right yes like yeah it's it's just it's like not. It's, it's kind of how like people think people think that electrons spin around an atom and i'm like no yeah. they're not they don't spin they pop and pop in and out and where yes. they may or may not be is a statistical bubble that's described in math by a sphere like right. it's not so <laughs> i i feel like there's a similar misunderstanding about the imagery or the description yes. of evolution yeah. that people have like atoms don't sp- electrons don't spin and also like evolution is not a survival of the person most best suited to the conditions at the time like that's not really how it works right, so right. um <laughs> how it works at all. <laughs> and i don't know what else i have to say that's real intelligent on that except to right. like throw that out there yeah um, um so, yeah like it's it's definitely um uh 
and to, to kind of bring it back to transhumanism, um, I think it's, it's a really complex issue and I'm really glad we're talking about it. And I think, um, you know, I don't think we're like necessarily making an argument one way or other at this point. No, like we're just, we're just talking like, about an interesting thing. As far as I'm concerned, I have no yeah. argument here except give me the nanobots, which isn't an argument. It's right. just a statement. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just a demand. <laughs> Here are my demands. I want nanobots. Right, right. And a bionic eye. Can and I have bionic, bionic eye. eyes? Uh-huh. Um, also, like, whatever the skin cancer thing is on my arm, I'd like to have that get, get rid of with maybe a laser beam or something. Or maybe this is, you're the one human where it's going to mutate such that you actually grow another arm and now you have oh an extra an arm on your arm. Can we name the arm arm? The arm arm? I don't know. what be Some kind of appendage. Um, Whoa, a, distal, a distal, a distal... Um, I don't know, some kind of distal appendage, but yeah. Um, how late are we going into this podcast? What time is it? Uh, it's been about 50 minutes. I thought we could, um, I mean, I think we made it halfway through your plan. There's just a couple of things, actually more than that. There's just a couple of things left. There are like bullet points on the timeline. So, um, like I said, 1992, Morin Morrow founded the Extropy Institute, which is, um, they did conferences and they had a mailing list so people could share ideas and understand or learn about transhumanist views for the first time. Um, And this coincided with the rise of cyber culture and cyberdelic counterculture, which is where I think a lot of biohacking also sort of emerged from down the road. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. um, And so uh, six years after all of that, 1998, um, philosophers Nick Bostrom and David Pierce founded the World Transhumanist Association, or the WTA, um, which is an NGO working toward the recognition of transhumanism as a legitimate subject of scientific inquiry and public policy. Now, that I am totally on board with. Yeah. I dig that a lot. Like, I I think it's really cool that people were insightful enough, these two people, Bostrom and Pierce, were insightful enough to be like, oh, we need to actually treat this with some seriousness, some academic rigor mm-hmm. and some scientific inquiry and like figure out, be thoughtful ahead of time about how this is going to impact public policy. And I really appreciate that because things like um, one of the banes of my existence is things like <laughs> 23andMe, Ancestry.com, Genetics.com. These are all private organizations that have now acquired so much data on so many people that within one or two moves of anyone who submitted their information voluntarily on those platforms, you can reach people who have nothing or want nothing to do with it. And you can identify them right with a hundred percent accuracy. Right. And so all of a sudden now people, because of these not well thought out, not uh, totally basically not regulated, like these just these companies who can like take your sample and send you back information that I guess correlates to your sample. Like you don't know. Right. Fucking know. Um, And lots of the times they have all kinds of errors and the quality control is shitty. Like it's just not great. Right. Yeah. It's really unregulated for sure. It's really unregulated. But all of that can now be used extra judicially to locate you, gather more information on you. And effectively, like, determine whether or not you have committed a crime at some time in the past. Like, it's really fucking scary. Anyway, um, so the idea that the World Transhumanist Association is working toward being smart about this preemptively Uh makes me um, 
really glad because genetics really fucked the dog on that one. I mean, yeah, real bad. Yeah. So, uh, like, we're going to have repercussions from this. So, not good. Um, so, later on down the road, 1998, there's the WTA. 2002, the WTA modified and adopted the Transhumanist Declaration, the Transhumanist FAQ, um, and gave two formal definitions for transhumanism. One, the intellectual and cultural movement that affirms the possibility and desirability, that's really important, of yeah. fundamentally improving the human condition through applied reason, especially by developing and making widely available technologies to eliminate aging and greatly enhance human intellectual, physical, and psychological capabilities. And two, the study of the ramifications, promises, and potential dangers of technologies that will enable us to overcome fundamental human limitations and the related study of the ethical matters involved in developing and using such technologies. So I made a note here. It seems to me like the only serious people in the game are the WTA officials who considered that social forces could undermine their futurist visions and need to be addressed. So in other words, like in the cursory research that I did, this group of people seems to be the group of people who have their shit together. Yeah. Um, in 2006, a political struggle within the transhumanist movement between the libertarian right mm-hmm. and the liberal left, which is like, oh, great. Anytime those groups of people get involved, you're like, this is going to be super successful. Right. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> this like struggle between these two uh, political factions resulted in a more center leftward positioning of the WTA under its former executive director, James Hughes. And in 2006, the board of directors of the Extropy Institute ceased operations of their organization, stating that its mission was essentially completed. And this rendered the World Transhumanist Association as the essentially the leading international transhumanist organization. It's they're They're it. They're the people. Interesting. Also off to the side are the Mormons. <laughs> and as of 2012, there were hundreds of members of the Mormon Transhumanist Association. Yeah. I don't know what specifically about Mormon religious belief structure overlays complementary wise. Uh-huh. <laughs> like um, transhumanism, because I'm sure like Catholics would hate this. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, like th- there must be something categorical to mormons that they have an affinity for this where other religious entities don't um yeah so wta rebranded itself in 2008 and is now named humanity plus which uh, like i don't even want to get into because we're low on time i don't even want to get into like what it means that somebody's now marketing this i mean are we low on time do you gotta go somewhere no, I guess I don't. I just thought like... W- I mean, w- we're w- pushing an hour. Thinking. It's not like we've ever released a podcast that's longer than an hour. That's true. Most of the time. <laughs> like if you're worried about the yeah. name of what you're doing, yes. you're less... Like you're taking concern away from what it is you're doing. If you're worried about how to... I don't know. Maybe... I, maybe I agree with you. Not. There's something about Humanity Plus that feels... Um, it feels like somebody's trying to sell you timeshare in a condo. Yeah. It also just feels like, um, <laughs> it feels dystopian <laughs> to me. It's just, yeah. it just smacks of like what we need is a rebranding because we're not really represent like, like we're getting, people are perceiving us as doing bad things. Maybe because we are, I'm not uh-huh. saying they are like, I agree with you that like WTA 
at least on the face of this history, seems like, yay, that's great. Um, right. But the idea that it's like you'd rebrand as Humanity Plus, I just see it as like, like, hey, what we need is a good fresh coat of paint to hide mm-hmm. the insanity that's behind us. Um, <laughs> All that cryonic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I really got to get away from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> like, I don't, they, they changed their name. And then in 2012, the Transhumanist Longevity Party. Yeah initiated as an international union of people who promote the development of scientific and technological means to significant life extension. And um, that now has more than 30 national organizations around the world, apparently, like somehow involved with it. I'm not really clear on how that all fits together, but interesting. um, Yeah. A union of people who promote the development of scientific and technological means to significant life extension, the longevity party. So I, when they say party, I'm not sure. Like, do you mean like? Oh, it's a it's a political party. It's it's part of the sub um, sub article on transhumanist politics. Mm. Yeah, so they're kind of like that. sort of a lobbyist body, maybe. Sure. Yeah i I have to think they do like advocacy and stuff. Um, I politics. man, the state of of um, at least in U.S. politics, the state of like the lobby industry is insane to me um it's completely unconscionable like the way the way it's like well you can't bribe an into like you can't bribe an official as an individual but if you call yourself a lobbyist and get your shit together you can give them a lot of money to do what you want yeah they can't say no i mean what yeah it's (laughs) it's fucking nuts um so um like basically it's like it's a bribery if you're poor but if you're rich it's lobbying and it's allowed right yes that you nailed it you nailed it if you only have a hundred bucks then you're bribing me and i'm gonna arrest your ass but right if you got a couple million let's talk if you have several million to get me reelected, yeah um okay um yeah, yeah. so last last bullet point on the timeline 2017 yes. <laughs> Everything ended in 2017. Right. In 2017, Penn State University Press um, published or extended the Journal of Posthuman Studies, the first academic journal explicitly dedicated to the posthuman, yeah, with the goal of clarifying the notions of posthumanism and transhumanism, as well as comparing and contrasting both. So maybe we should get a Journal of Posthuman Studies and read some stuff out of there. I yeah, do that. that journal sounds fun. Of post-human studies um and my last bullet point here they don't have a year attached to this but the first transhumanist elected member of a parliament has been giuseppe uh vatino in italy so there has been a person who was openly transhumanist and maybe or maybe not was elected based on that but it was certainly noteworthy as you know right right as far as it politic politics go um yeah, so that that kind of like that's the the lay of so the land. So he wrote like, a book, Transhumanism: A New Philosophy for Man in the Twenty First Century. Okay. So that's right, like then. I I was just kind of wondering like, well, what makes him a transhuman uh, or a transhumanist? Right. Right. Right, um, right. But it is someone who basically is is promoting or you know discussing the i the idea ideology is not the right word the ideas and philosophies of what we've been kind of talking about um this is pretty cool 
Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's we we got through like all of the major people and like acronyms for groups that are out there, and then those acronyms gave way to weird marketing slogans like Humanity Plus, and that's where we're at. So yeah. Um, for the next discussion, yes. Um, I've started taking notes on a couple of um subtopics within transhumanism, including theories of transhumanism, mm-hmm. the aims or goals of transhumanism. Um, something they, they, they gave a header of, or they, they listed as a header of empathic fallibility. And so I'm not really sure where they're going to go with that. I haven't gotten that far in my reading yet. Um, and then ethics. So theory aims, empathic fallibility and ethics are the next sort of sections that I figured we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually really excited to talk about those sections. Um, I think that there's a ton of issues like one of the concepts which i imagine falls under empathic fallibility um or basically consent right is the (laughs) idea of um in science fiction there's oftentimes there's the idea of like uplift which is to say that you um have the ability to rapidly evolve a species in such a way that they they gain sort of human levels of intelligence right or like self-sentience and Mm, yes and so like you know, oftentimes the example is that um, humans basically uplifted like the apes of the planet, right? So now there's like gorillas that are, um, you know, have have enough self awareness and intelligence to be um, to form their own like participating societies in the greater like global structure of social yeah. systems, right? But they're distinct species and. I I mean, I always felt like it's like, man, that's just like, that's like Nazi level science fiction, right? Where it's just like, you know, we've got the sharks now. (laughs) Like we've got these like killer (laughs) sharks that we created that are superhuman. Um, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The other night um, I was at my girlfriend's house and we were watching. um, She's like, oh, we got to watch this movie. I think it's called Deep Blue Sea. And um, I, I've come to call them the Alzheimer's sharks because the premise <laughs> the premise is that um, there's this like this scientist who she's she's trying to create a cure for um, for Alzheimer's and somehow um, like combining like human DNA with shark DNA in their brain in order to create um, this like molecule or whatever that's the cure for for um for alzheimer's she ends up creating these like super smart sharks there are these massive like giant great whites or whatever and then <laughs> there's like three of them and the whole movie like takes place i in, tried to make it smart but i just made it really big yeah <laughs> the whole movie takes place in this like this like offshore oil rig style like breeding compound <laughs> of sharks where they're just running around being chased by sharks in you know as the as the sort of compound is flooding, the sharks are able to access more compartments and people have fun. Anyway, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous movie. I highly recommend it. If you're into that kind of thing, um, I got to go watch that movie right now. So let's wrap this up. Yeah. Okay. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like almost unwatchable. It's it. No, there's, um, it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it and there's just some (laughs) really, um, it's, it's everything, it's everything it says on the tin, right? Like it's just absurd action movie. There's not anything, um, like real sensical about it. It's got these like hyperbolic characters. Um, if you just want kind of a trashy movie, like that's, that's the one 
for you, definitely. If you have, and what's seen it, it called again? Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea, I believe. Yeah. Um, I wrote in my notes. I wrote Alzheimer's sharks. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Deep Blue Sea is definitely it. Um, it's definitely garbage. I mean, it's got a five point nine on IMDb, which means it's probably it's watchable. Um, <laughs> it's point nine points above unwatchable. Yeah, so it's Deep Blue Sea 1999. There's a Deep Blue Sea from 2011. Um, apparently, they made uh, they made a they made a a Deep Blue Sea two in 2018, or at least they made a. Um, let me just have a look and see here what the. Um, <laughs> I mean, this amazing. this movie is just absurd. Like, yeah, so. Deep Blue C2 was like straight to video in 2018. That's a 3.4 on IMDb. So um, mm, I stick to okay. the first one. The first one is hilarious. It's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. Um, I'm not going to spoiler it um, for you, but I will say a lot of people die. Oh, it also has LL Cool J who plays. <laughs> well, a, then I'm in. If everybody dies, I'm in. Yeah, pretty much everybody dies, which is great. Um, it's got LL Cool J who plays a preacher slash chef. Um, oh, and he's got a parrot so that's that's great fun um, does he work in a shark fin soup kitchen yes yeah um <laughs> it's got let's see i think they're basically samuel L. jackson and l cool j are like the highlights of that movie definitely they have some they play some really ridiculous parts mm-hmm. um anyway <laughs> i don't know you know transhumanism sharks always always a good combination um they i did go wanna... hand in hand and fin <laughs> hand and fin they go hand in fin <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh fantastic um do we uh is it is it color of the day time it's color of the day time tell okay me, tell me all about the color of the day so i let me just pull up we've did a lot of research on this let me find the correct one hold on okay um And where did you go? <clears throat> okay. So the color of the day is thistle. Ooh, okay. And let me let me send it to you so you can see. Um So this was hand selected by our team of color experts. Um, Mm. so there's, I know, I I mean, we've been a color authority for what's that? This is a lovely color. It is a lovely color. Um, yeah. We're talking about our authority. Yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, thistle, um, so thistle is it's RGB values are two sixteen one nine one two sixteen. Um, this is like a, a sort of muted pink sort of violet lavender kind of color. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of um, more purple than pink. Yep. Yep. Lots of white yep. mixed in and a yep. touch of gray. Yeah. Touch of gray. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and it's so, almost like, it almost looks gray, but with some purple, pinky purple in it. Like, y- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like a kind of a light gray that's been that's been washed with some some pinky purple yeah like Um, it almost looks like kind of 
you would expect to see this as maybe like a mixed matched color at Home Depot and it'd be fine when you get it on the wall. It, it vaguely like sallow flesh toned. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, like a, I, I can imagine like when you put it up on the wall, it's kind of like a biological color where you're like, Ugh. yeah, it's yes, little, little pink for yeah. a gray wall. It's, it's not my favorite color, but it's, it's also pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, well, so it's color of the day and I was going to say, um, our team of experts. So there's been, there's definitely some, um, agencies out there that claim to be, uh, you know, like experts on color, but I definitely think the team we've been using, um, who've been coming up with the color of the day have just been really spot on. Um, Mm -hmm. and this one, I, I, this one definitely represents my feelings about today very strongly. I think everyone will agree when they see this, like it's basically the in color right now for today. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, thistle and oh, it's uh, hexadecimal values. If you prefer those over the RGB, is um, D eight BF D eight. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty great. Um, it's nice. It's a it's a color. Like if you gave somebody flowers, and then yes. they left those flowers in a vase and didn't feed them or take care of them or trim them and then forgot to refill the water and the flowers wilted and sagged over yes. and lost some of their color, they would be like this color pink. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. I like it. This is a, um, this really captures the spirit of the day. I feel like it really does. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, everybody's listening, you know, get on it. Um, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> go (laughs) go don't forget to coordinate um yeah so uh i guess i if you if you if this is the how do i put this um it also occurs to me that people might not know um that oftentimes the reason i give the hexadecimal values is you can just pop those in google and it'll it'll show you the color right away yes Um, you can actually like recreate the color on your own monitor yeah, which is kind of, you know, because for a, an audio podcast, it's hard to do visual things. So we have to mm-hmm. kind of just describe and, and get on with it. But um, but we do think it's important to provide alternative choices for colors of the day. Because um, mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of like misinformation about there about out there about what the correct color of the day is. So you um, can believe us. Yeah, exactly. Fair and balanced. So. Right. And I mean, we. We're all over the place. We're not experts on much, but, but I this definitely we... <laughs> think the color of the day is something that you can put stock in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, as you're sort of as like ranked 59th um, design art and design podcast in Ireland, I think we have a little bit of weight. So, yeah, you know, we're legit. We've got papers. We're, legit. we're bona fide. Right. That's right. <laughs> I think our goal should be to like hold that position. Like if we ever got like moved up a rank, we need to like find somebody to be like, no, you need to get ahead of us. We're, this is our spot. <laughs> Listen, we'll come guest spot on your show so you can bump. Yeah. We need to get you ahead of us. This is our spot. We stay at 59. We stay at 59. We're 59 in Ireland. That's like core to our identity. Right. <laughs> um. Do you have a tip that you want? I didn't want to like bypass the tip. I know usually we just do one one segment, but I think the color of the day segment just kind of popped in. Well, our our uh, yeah. our esteemed research team had been saying this was an important important day to get the color of the day out. So don't we would be remiss if we hadn't gotten it out today. Yes. Yeah. Um. 
Let's see. I'm sure I will come up with an interesting tip for living well in hell. Yeah. Uh, the more research I do on the next episode of Transhumanism. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe we can. A, a whole lot of unsolicited advice. For oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And you know, that's how I like to work. So. Yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, through deep hours of research and hours. Long, and- yeah. Hours. I mean, I did do hours of research on this. Yesterday, you did, actually. you did, and I, I really appreciate it because I <laughs> think enough. this is a really fun topic. So, yeah, it's super good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's it. Okay. Oh, um, do you want to tell people how to get a hold of us? If you want to get a hold of us, you can, but by proxy. Yes. <laughs> so mail email d a n a at fcbm.io which is dana at futurecreepbuildingmicrowave.io yep and she's our executive assistant and the the all of the component parts that keep the wheels on the wagon yeah yeah i would say she's um she's definitely a critical member of the team and actually excitingly um i think she's actually gonna be joining us on the podcast as a co-host uh in the near future here yeah this is so So, exciting yeah we have in other words we have eroded her will to resist yes (laughs) over time (laughs) and now she's breaking down and going to join us on the show which is yeah yeah um yeah so uh, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks.